You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Thanks for checking out this podcast presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, U.S. Bank Stadium, or XL Energy Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota football, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. Pabst Blue Ribbon. Always smooth, always refreshing. Gold medal winner at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. When you're this good, quality always comes through. PBR Me, ASAP. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings... We present Bonus Chatter. Bonus Chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Purple Podcast. We are back discussing Vikings offseason developments, and we are already at a point where there's plenty going on. Uh, the season just ended, but there's never a quiet moment in the NFL. And the Vikings, of course, making some coaching changes this week, uh, making some things official, although they haven't announced any of them yet. Uh, but the the offensive staff next year is going to look quite a bit different, and we will discuss that, among other things, today. I'm Ben Gessling from ESPN, joined by Matthew Collar and Judd Zolgad of 1500 ESPN. Uh, we will start, guys, with the coaching changes. Uh, Pat Shermer is going to be the full-time, permanent, whatever you want to call it, not interim offensive coordinator, uh, which means, of course, that uh, Sam Bradford's guy will be in charge of the offense once again next season, and it, it could mean um, not as favorable of a landing spot for Teddy Bridgewater when he comes back. And there's also uh, changes to the position coach for uh, the quarterback group. Scott Turner, of course, was fired the other night, um, making now the Vikings offensive staff in a situation where only one coach in that group uh, is in the same position he was in when Mike Zimmer was hired, and that, of course, is wide receivers coach George Stewart. Only two of the offensive coaches from that 2014 staff are still here, Stewart and Kevin Stefanski, but Stewart is the only one still in the same job that he was is that a problem, the the amount of change and the amount of turnover there's been, or is this something that we should just expect as a cost of doing business when this offense has been like 26th or worse every year under Mike Zimmer? I don't know if it's a, a problem, but I think that Pat Shermer has a lot of work to do. It's not just that their offensive yardage totals have been poor. It's a lot of things. It's the fact that they were one of the worst teams on third down with the production that they got out of their quarterback last year. It's that they have been a poor red zone team for I don't know how long. They're in the bottom five once again this year in the red zone, and we went into this season saying, you know what, they've got to improve, and maybe this first-round pick wide receiver will help them. They 
they've got to improve how often they score when they get inside the 20. And they were unable to do that. And we saw a lot of your typical sort of eye formation slamming it up the middle, which works out great if you're the Dallas Cowboys, but not so much if you don't have that offensive line. Though there are things that I think Pat Shermer himself has to look in the mirror, as Mike Zimmer talked about in his final press conference for what he wants to change. But I, it's really hard to put my finger on how position co- coaches might change things right I mean if you just looked at Sam Bradford in the situation that he fell into 10 days before the season you're on this team now and you've got to start uh, the next week I mean that's super difficult and under other circumstances you might have said hey great job quarterback coach you got him ready to go and you beat the Packers there in week two but because of the situation with Norv Turner and however it went with Sam Bradford and Scott Turner, it's really hard to say. Someone was asking me on Twitter the other day, why, why aren't you guys ripping Tony Sperano for his work with the O-line? Because I don't know what he does with the O-line. There's no good way to tell unless someone he did, he tells He did not you. say TJ Clemmings is good at any point <laughs> this season. I can guarantee you of that. So, so I, I, think it, I think it's very tough. Um, but with Sam Bradford, I guess it wouldn't be a big surprise if you saw somebody again from his past, whether it's with the Rams or the Eagles, wherever else, mm-hmm. coming in that he would have more familiarity with, then uh, that might be of some benefit. Uh, can I can I back that question up, Ben? Yeah, uh, and ask you guys this: When Zimmer got here and hired Norv, I said that's a good hire because mm-hmm. you're taking a guy who's got head coaching experience in this league, which you don't have, and basically saying. I'm not threatened by you, and in fact, you, you can make my team on the offensive side of the ball competitive, which I admired. What do you guys think, though, and, and this is total hindsight on my part now, but what do you guys think that Mike Zimmer learned from the hiring last January of Pat Shermer as his <clears throat> tight ends coach <laughs> and Sprano, who now, in your throat? now Shermer, yes, exactly. Now, Shermer had been an offensive coordinator and head coach in, in the league. Uh, Tony Sperano, who had been a head coach, offensive coordinator, was hired as offensive line coach. At the time, I said, good for him. I now look back and say there were a lot of cooks in, in that kitchen. And what I'm more curious about is it's as if Mike thought, well, you know what, Norv? I like Norv, but. And instead of saying, Norv, you're done, he said, I'm going to add more and more people who are all, all going to sit at a table and have a voice. I wonder what he took from that because clearly – Pretty quickly, it got to be a situation where there were probably too many different ideas. And that's where I wonder if Mike went wrong there. He thought he was empowering more people. But at some point in time, somebody offensively has to make the call. Well, I think and I, I know that some of that stuff was not received well uh, by North Turner. I mean, I, I think I mean, there had been issues there for a while. I mean, some interpersonal stuff and, and some scheme changes, I think, that had – probably exacerbated some of the or were exacerbated by some of the the interpersonal things that were going on there uh i don't i don't know that if you're in norv turner's position you were going to look at those hires especially when tony sperano was hired over a guy that norv turner had coached with in the past pat flaherty you're not going to look at those things as oh you know they just want more ideas it would be like if any of us if they said oh we're just going to bring in another guy to to talk on the radio or cover the vikings in print or whatever it would happen to be we just want to get some more ideas in here your your first reaction in any career is going to be wait a minute are you guys <laughs> planning to bounce me i mean and i i don't i don't begrudge norv turner for for thinking that or 
being wary of that whatsoever, especially when before the season you are trading for a quarterback largely on the recommendations of your tight ends coach and changing the scheme to fit the quarterback that was recommended by your tight ends coach. Those are not things that position coaches do. Those are things that offensive coordinators do. And I, I do think the fact that there there was, you know, Mike Zimmer kind of talked about wanting to have that sort of uh, mishmash of ideas, a melting pot of ideas. I mean, it's a nice theory, but you need a lot of people with pretty thick skin and a lot of people who are secure enough in their own jobs to help that work. And I think that may have taken more of a toll than probably somebody wanted it to or thought that it would. I think when we look back in hindsight, we say if that situation had been handled a little better, if Mike Zimmer had not been loyal to North Turner to try and keep him on and give him another year, maybe we're thinking about covering a playoff game right now. I mean, I I look at that coming out of the bye, those two games against Philadelphia and Chicago is – where this all fell apart. We didn't think they were going to go 15 and 1, but those two games against pretty mediocre to awful teams and you couldn't get anything going offensively because there's headbutting going on between how you want the offensive philosophy to work. I I mean if you get one of those two games, you're in such a better position going down the stretch than the Vikings were and then you feel like there's when you have the headbutting and whatever else going on and the offensive coordinator resigning, it's also the feeling that everything is falling apart after those two games. And and I think that was costly to everybody. I think it was a distraction to everybody that he resigned and they had this issue going on. So when it comes to what they're going to do in the future, give one guy, if Mike Zimmer does not want to be involved so much on the offensive side, then give it to Pat Shermer. Don't bring in anybody else who's going to challenge him. Just let him have it and bring in his own people to be his offensive, you know, coaches or whatever else. I think let him do the let him do his thing. I think it's a good idea to empower people, but I think when you empower the entire room, it's a mistake, especially in in this league, right? I mean, these guys are as headstrong as you'll find. And in retrospect, I mean, you got Norv who likes to throw downfield deep. And then Shermer comes in with all these West Coast ideas. And by the way, the other part of this equation, too, is Adrian Peterson. So now you want you like to throw it deep. You want to run some West Coast, and 28 has to get his touches, or so we thought. And so I think that's the lesson going forward for the, especially the offensive assistant staff, is you need somebody who's got final authority and say, it's not that they can't get ideas, but if you really sit them down at a table and say, okay, kids, you're all going to have equal power, you got problems. Well, yeah, and it was, uh, it's, it's one thing to say, hey, we want ideas from these people and we're going to involve them in the, in the overall plan of things, but there has to be a hierarchy for that. And I, I think when you don't have that kind of a structure, there's opportunities for people to to wonder where their footing is, and I think that's a lot of kind of what what Norv Turner eventually came to is well, there, there's a lot of messages here that that you guys don't necessarily like the way I'm doing it, so maybe I'll just take myself out of the mix. And I, I think once that happens, the odds of Scott Turner being around probably went way down, and, and whether Scott Turner uh, had done enough on his own merits, I, I think that. I, he's he's developed a reputation around the league, I think, somewhat independently of his dad. I, I think some of the work he did in, in Carolina, um, you know, when they drafted Cam Newton, 
I think has helped that, and I, I think he will be a guy that gets a job uh, probably as a quarterback's coach in one of these teams here this offseason. But uh, the the dynamics interpersonally I think would have been pretty tough for him to come back. When you think about the fact that they brought in someone as accomplished as Pat Shermer to be such a, a low-level well, he started off with no title. That's my favorite thing. Yeah. We're just going to add him to the staff, yeah. and then about a month after that, he's our tight ends well, coach. I mean, that's what I mean. Like, yeah. If you were talking about new ideas, and you were saying, we found this fresh coach who's 29 years old out of wherever state who's been doing a great job in wherever, and we think that he can help with some of these things. But he doesn't have the final say, and he also kind of has to defer to Norv Turner because he's the guy that's just showing up and happy to be here. When you have Shermer, who just comes off of being a head coach in Cleveland and then an offensive coordinator under Chip Kelly in Philadelphia, and he's supposed to be the tight end coach, which is just a total fraud, right? He's not actually the— Well, that's what, four, three, four players? Yeah, <laughs> right. That's what I mean. Like yeah. He's clearly there to be some sort of offensive consultant right. in a way— but with that much under his belt, naturally he's going to want to take back a lot of the power when things weren't going well, and then he gets his guy. I mean, it was over there. When it's his guy, Sam Bradford, what he's had in a couple of different locations already, right there it was, okay, you're the one that's actually in charge. Now the question is whether Norv should have put aside his pride and said, you know what, maybe we should just defer to you with your offensive philosophy because we're 5-0 and and this could be a huge problem going forward, but maybe these guys don't exactly think that way. But don't you guys think that Norv did for five weeks? I really thought those first five games were largely, okay, Pat Shermer knows what Sam does well, and so Sam for five games. I really sensed coming out of the bye week in Philadelphia that that started this. Norv is trying to reassert himself. The problem was the Houston game was a red flag. We watched that Texans game, and as good as that game was, you looked at the offensive line, and in particular, Clemmings that day, and said, this is almost unworkable. And so the problem was, it was like they came back from the bye, and Norv said, okay, we're back to doing what, what I like to do well. And all of that was predicated on your offensive line and your left tackle in particular playing well, and that was never going to happen. Once you saw that Texans game, you knew that that ship had sailed. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, it was a situation where you put a lot of dynamics in place that you you kind of think, well, hey, just just deal with it, you know, have thick skin about it. That's it's easy to say that. I think anybody in those situations is going to say, well, uh, you know, I I should not let this bother me, but human nature being what it is, I think you're in a lot of cases going to have some animosity towards the situation when that stuff is going on so um you know whether it's a, a a teachable moment for a young head coach or whether it's a teachable moment for North Turner or whoever uh I don't think it, it certainly is interesting that when Mike Zimmer hired North Turner and it was this Zimmer's gonna run the defense Turner's gonna run the offense and everything's gonna be great we're sitting here a year and a day after they played a playoff game and they have two guys in the same positions on the offensive staff that they had during that game. And of the guys who have left, only one of them can be considered to have moved up. And that, of course, would be Kirby Wilson, who took the running game coordinator position with the Browns when the Vikings wanted him back, but he wanted to move up to a higher title. So 
Um, you know, the offense hasn't been good enough to, to merit a lot of promotions, but uh, certainly interesting that it has changed as much as it has and, and certainly raises some questions about what they're going to be going forward. The big question, of course, on the field is what they're going to do with the offensive line where Tony Sperano, as far as we know, is going to be back. I would expect that he will. Um, but they have a lot of decisions to make about who's going to be on that line, who is not going to be on that line, um, where they're going to get players, whether that's going to be in free agency or the draft. Um, what do we think is the plan there? I think the plan should be to take all that money that you're going to get from walking away from Adrian Peterson. I'm assuming they walk away. Assuming that they walk away, which is a very, very large assumption, but... Should be should be rather than what it might be. Yeah, uh, I'm not willing to make that assumption yet. Take but. take that money and put it into multiple offensive linemen because for me there are two reasonably good offensive linemen out of five, and that is the center Joe Berger, who I thought actually had a really good year, and Alex Boone, who was okay. He you got what you paid for with Alex Boone. One of the things I like to do with those pro football focus ratings with linemen is to just click on their history and see where they rated through their entire career. And Boone is always that kind of guy. He's always sort of in the middle of the road. He's not perfect. He's not the greatest run blocker you'll ever find because he's so huge and getting out of his stance quickly can be tough at six foot seven, six foot eight. But, you know, pretty good, pretty good. But left tackle and right tackle were absolutely untenable. And I think Brandon Fusco's play fell off so far that at very least he needs to have competition at that position. But if you look at the free agent guards, I think there's a lot of opportunities for upgrades there too. Why don't you run through for uh, those listeners who don't have the full list committed to memory, uh, run through some of the options. Well, if you don't, then just shut it off now. What are you even doing here? Uh, okay, well, a couple of the guys, T.J. Lang. We love our listeners. Yeah, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just kidding. No, thank you very uh, much. T.J. Lang from the Green Bay Packers is one of the tops. Yeah, he's he's been one of the best for yeah, a while. He's very good. He's tremendous. Evan Mathis is coming off of an injury, but he is a free agent. Uh, Chance Warmack is another guy people might remember from the draft. Was he a high pick? Yeah. Right? He, was, he was a pretty high pick. Evan Mathis, they flirted with him a little bit in the past, and now that Pat Shermer is here. I remember here. those days. Yeah, I, I think last Evan year. Evan Mathis flirtation. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of flirtation last year in, in Pat Shermer's history with him and, and probably Hank Fraley's history with him as well. Uh, that that could be a name to keep in mind. He's he's getting old, but that could be a name to keep in mind. Uh, Kevin Zeitler, who plays for Cincinnati. You'll hear a lot about Andrew Whitworth, but Zeitler was ranked very high, too, on that Cincinnati offensive line. Brian Winters from the Jets. Jahari Evans from New Orleans. John Jerry from the Giants. Larry Warford from Detroit. All those guys are in, like, the top 40. Larry Warford's a good player by, as well. Yeah, by pro football focus. So you have, right there, I named, like, what, seven or eight guys who are in the top 40 pro football focus rankings for guards. I mean, if you're willing to spend a few bucks, there's almost no reason that you can't upgrade from Brandon Fusco. And with his performance this year, to go along with a concussion, too, that sidelined him, I think you – two concussions, sorry. I think you have to go into next season with another option that is not just – is not just Fusco. But the disturbing thing is tackle. That's the scary – that's a scary thing. Because you need a left tackle and a right tackle. And if you go through – Without a first-round pick, unless you're going to package some of your draft picks to get back in the first round and the open market, tackle is not good. Yeah, it's going no. to cost you a lot, and they are – and left tackle – Bringing are, back Matt Khalil might cost some money. 
It will, and I'm I'm still fairly convinced that that's going to be the answer on a short term deal. Yeah, that they're going to tell them, "You come back, we'll give you a short term lucrative deal and make good." Because yep. if you look at that market, Motor unless they're going to go spend a lot, tackles what scares me, and left tackle in particular scares me. Yeah, and it's like Ricky Wagner and Riley Reef and. Um, Wagner is a Wagner's a right tackle. So is yep. Reef. Yeah, Reef really intrigues me. He's though, a right tackle too, though, because Reef was a left tackle for his first couple of years in the league and actually graded out pretty well. And then they drafted uh, what is it, Taylor Decker? Yep. And yeah, he had a pretty good year. Yeah, so they they put him at left tackle and yeah. moved Reef to right tackle, and their offensive line was actually very good this year. Uh, but Reef, if you're him, you're thinking. Uh, I have enough of a history of being pretty decent at that position to get some cash on the free and agent market. you make market. money at left tackle. Yep. Right tackle is a nice, a nice position to play. Left tackle is a lucrative position to play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the tackle position and the free agent market being what it is is what I think is the scariest part about this. And no first because, round pick. And yeah. And, and you're not necessarily going to have a guy all the time come in and be a starting left tackle of – reliable quality the first year. So the fact that they're in the position they're in at that spot uh, is, to me, the most concerning part of it. I, I think that the best option – well, there there's no great option. And if Andrew Whitworth, who's 35, by the way, yeah. if he says, mm, no, sorry, guys, I'm going to stay with my – keep my family in Cincinnati or whatever. I've been here a long time, so sorry. And somebody throws way too much money at Riley Reef. You're basically out on an island with Matt Khalil and nothing else. Mm -hmm. And looking at the way Khalil's performed over his career since his rookie year, I think that's replacement-level play. I I don't mean well below replacement level like what they got last year. I mean just your average guy that you throw in there is probably just as good or better than him that you don't have to pay a lot for. But if you want to really stock up on that position, it's got to be through the trade market, right? I mean, Joe Thomas was talked about quite a bit, but there might be some other options out there from teams that uh, Joe Staley is a guy that has been talked about quite a bit. That's the team that's got to go through basically a full rebuild. Even Jason Peters' name has been What's thrown that out cost, there. Though? That's the, that would be the big issue. I mean, that, that's a first-round pick in some year, right? If you're going to go get yeah, a left tackle, probably. you're going to give up a first-round pick, and it's going to start with that. Not yeah, I mean, if you give up a second and a third, would that but we all know that Rick, it pains Rick. I mean, that Bradford trade probably kept him up for three weeks, probably. And the Bradford trade, I think was, he told Peter King it basically did, right? Yeah, it did. And and the Bradford trade, I get, and I still don't criticize, but for Rick Spielman to give up a first and fourth, that's a lot. And so if you're now going to come back and say, okay, the price of poker with Joe Thomas is a first and a third or something. It might make sense to us, but that's going to keep him up for two months at that point. So <laughs> I'd be very curious. But that that left tackle, with the market being pretty barren there, and, and you don't have a first-round pick unless you're going to try and get back into the first round by trading picks to get the kid from Bama. Besides that, there's not a lot of good options here. Joe Staley, by the way, uh, he will be 33 mm-hmm. in August. What's uh, Joe co- Thomas? Uh, Amazing. I think probably football. 31. Well, I, the thing I don't get. I had a yeah, guy, a friend that went to high school with him that I think is 31. So the thing I don't get, that. why is he so loyal to Cleveland? I would think if I'm Joe Thomas, I am chomping at the bit to get to a good team. And well, he, he there was an interesting Shermer, story right? on that. He played um, for Pat, right? Yeah, he would have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, so he knows Pat Shermer. Yeah, he would have known North Turner, too, from <clears throat> playing a year with him in Cleveland. <laughs> it doesn't but matter anymore. I, I, uh, yeah, I, but in terms of whether they would have made that trade sure. last year. Not that they could have because they didn't have the cap room. But, yeah, there was an interesting story on him 
Um, I'm trying to remember who did it. I think it was ESPN that did it. Um, just talking about why he stays and, and why he wants to stick it out and, and see the payoff come in. And you can argue whether he's uh, tilting at windmills by doing that, but uh, that I think is kind of the motivation he has is I want to see the payoff when we're finally ready to win. So, um, you know, wh- whether you wait for that, we'll see. But <laughs> Joe Staley uh, has a cap figure of $11.5 million for this season which includes some bonus parations. I think the cash is like 8.3 or something like that. So I look at this tackle situation like, you know, if if you're paying Joe Staley that much money, you're paying way too much, right? And if you've got to give up assets, you're giving up way too much, right? I mean, all those things logically just in a thing for thing. Joe Thomas is only 10 million this year. I mean, that, for Joe Thomas, I think almost anything is worth it because he's 10 straight Pro Bowls. He but turns if, 33 in December. But, okay. if, but if it's somebody like Joe Staley, you're overpaying quite a bit there if you're giving up draft picks and then having him take up that much room on your salary cap. But the situation is so desperate, and you're going into another year where you're going to expect to have a top defense and maybe some stability at the quarterback position coming into this year, which you didn't have at the beginning of this year. Uh, okay, I mean, next year and this year. You didn't have because of Teddy Bridgewater's injury. It was all kind of a cluster. You're thinking we can do it this year, right? I mean, don't you go into every one of these years that you have all this defensive talent thinking, yes. we've got to take Hail Marys, we've got to take risks, yes. we've got to overpay at times. Because we have to get this fixed in our window to win. And you can't have a situation, I'm sorry, but you can't go in uh, to 2017 chancing Bradford's health. You can't do it. And no. Sam And Sam Bradford's never going to have the ability uh, to do what the great quarterbacks do, which is say, I'm under pressure, so I'm going to move here, there, here, there, and throw. Sam Bradford needs a clean pocket. So if your left tackle situation is not addressed correctly, that is a major demerit against Spielman. Major. Yeah, and I, I think you love look that at, word demerit, by the way. Yes, uh, I think if you look at, were you, are you old enough to have uh, had demerits in school? Yes, Saint Therese, Deephaven, wow. we had demerits. Catholic That's a demerit. School. I suppose it's Catholic Catholic I'm, school may still do that. I don't know. I'm an old guy with a Catholic school background. Yeah, yeah. big time. Demerits. Did you get slapped with a uh, no? I missed with a ruler. I missed. I had nuns as teachers, but I but I missed the I missed the ruler age by right about in? five to ten years. Our nuns were very nice. Okay. Our nuns were very, well, very nice. West Metro nuns. They're probably all... We were all... Our jewelry was yeah, on, yeah, cash flowing around. It's Minnetonka. Yeah, it's, no one gets hurt in Tonka. We just all have fun. Posh and Tony Island, nuns you know. and... At but we did, have, demer- but we did have demerits, and I'm going to give Rick Spielman a big old demerit if he does not address the left tackle. From one Catholic to another. Does he get a big old demerit for drafting two offensive linemen in the fourth round that literally can't play football? Willie Beavers is a huge one. I mean, you. I listen. think he's more on TJ Clemmings, is what he's No, 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 at. no. But, well, when, but I saw no. Beavers play three but, plays, and yeah. this is hideous. Listen, I'm Well, so- they cut him. They cut him in training camp. <laughs> the, high, the highest draft pick cut in the National Football League in 2016 was, Willie Beavers. was Beavers. So I'm sorry. That, that's a huge one to me. I mean, TJ Clemmings was a disaster because of where they moved him. He wasn't a very good right tackle, and he was a colossal 
awful bust at left tackle. But Willie Beavers, you took in the fourth round. You have a history of not drafting players at that position. And then the guy that you take in the fourth round can't even make your roster out of training camp? Yes, that is a demerit. I've, but I, I look at the philosophy behind those picks, too, and looking at guys who are physical freaks, right? The uh, Sports Illustrated article on TJ Clemmings is fascinating to go back and read because it's basically like this is all or nothing pick. His physical stature, he could be a great player. He has the size of some of the elite tackles, but he has no idea what he's doing. So if he figures it out, it's kind of like the Daniil Hunter sort of thing, right? Like, Daniil Hunter figured it out, and he's a freak show. (laughs) He sure did. And a lot of times they don't figure it out, and TJ Clemmings didn't. But going back to that, when you already have a boomer bust freak athlete as a tackle that you picked in the fourth round, and then going back and trying to do it again with Willie Beavers, there was just such a high chance that both were going to bust – to the point where you couldn't even play them. He had the ability to dent people, as uh, Tony Sperano had said at the time. Hey guys, it's Phil Mackey from 1500 ESPN and one of the hosts of Sports Over Beers, the original 1500ESPN.com podcast, where you find your favorite 1500 ESPN personalities drinking beer and talking sports. Pretty simple. Find it on iTunes, Podcast One, and 1500ESPN.com. Pabst Blue Ribbon is always smooth, always refreshing, and the perfect choice at the game or out with friends. And now, add gold to the great PBR tradition, because Pabst Blue Ribbon was awarded the gold medal for American-style lager at the 2016 Great American Beer Festival. That makes four gold medals for PBR in the last 11 years. Not bad. It's that gold medal taste that has made Pabst Blue Ribbon a Twin Cities favorite. When you're this good, quality always comes through. Go for the gold. PBR me ASAP. The I mean the boomer bust thing is interesting because that now is definitely the Vikings draft strategy. They they have gone and and you can look at it, um, you know up and down the board. They have gone for a lot of these guys that have high upside that are they may be a, bit, a little bit raw, but they they test off the charts in the combine and in the spark rankings and all that kind of stuff. You know, guys like Anthony Barr, guys like Jarek McKinnon, guys like Stephen Weatherly last year, Daniil Hunter certainly fits that category, uh, TJ Clemmings, as you mentioned. There is there is a belief, probably Scott Crichton a little bit as well, there's a belief that if we take these raw athletes, our coaching staff is good enough to develop them fairly quickly and get them to play, and in some cases that has worked. I think you know, certainly Daniil Hunter. Um, Who got great coaching. Yes. In his I, case, he did get great yes, coaching. Yes, and to me, if you're going to do it, with pass rushers, I think Andre Patterson is a heck of a coach. So, uh, to me, if, if you're going to go get a, a guy that's a, that's athletic but a little bit raw, but he wants to learn, I'm I'm happy with the gamble there because I think Andre Patterson's as good of a coach as anybody they have. There is a belief that they can get and make you know do a lot of that and, and go with the raw guys and make it work. Yes, but on the offensive line. That well, might and they, be a little too risky. And they've skimped there, too. I mean, if you if you look at the history, Spielman um, through 2006 through 2010 didn't have control of the roster. So it's debatable. His influence was there. It's debatable how much. 2011, he split it with less. That's the ponder year. So I, I think you can start to pin the drafts on Spielman in that year. He's been the GM and had control of the 53-man since 2012. And you go back to... 11 or 12, and look at where they have prioritized the offensive line. It's way, way down. And that's the thing. And now 
the expectation is, well, just draft them. Just start. Tra- That's not how this works. This is the Vikings fooled us going into 2016 by doing what? By saying the offensive line wasn't great in 2015. We made a coaching change there, position coaching change, and now we're throwing numbers. We're throwing competition, right? Yep. And so we all said, oh, that's fantastic, Co- competition. What we didn't take into account was the negligence of that position caught up to them. You can throw all the crap you want. Competition's fun, but it's not competition. What they haven't done is thrown enough competent players because Spielman gets creative. And this is the one thing, guys. Senior Bowl and, and Combine now coming up. I think in some ways – for the Vikings and Rick Spielman, the senior bowl and combine is incredibly dangerous because they often think like football people do. We're the smartest guys in this room. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to talk to guys at the combine and you know what we're going to do. We're going to give them intelligence tests and psychological (laughs) testing. And we're going to suss out who can do what. And then we're going to take that guy in the sixth round because no one saw this guy. That's not how it works. I often have thought that the Vikings paralyze themselves because they get so caught up in the minutia as opposed to saying, you know what that guy is, that guy's a future really good left tackle or right tackle. Let's just draft him. They're always trying to get creative. Receivers and backs, that's fine. I have no problem with, with that. But there are certain positions where I really believe that if you want to make a commitment to that position, you go draft guys in the top three rounds at the very least. And I think the Vikings have always said, when it comes to the offensive line, let's get creative. And it bit them in the butt. Well, and it's funny because I think everybody sort of talks about four positions being premium, absolute must-haves in the NFL. Quarterback, offensive line, pass rushers, and corners. And three of those four, they have committed fairly high picks to getting those guys. I mean, Daniel Hunter was a third, but you know, guys like Anthony Barr I think would, would fit in that category somewhat that they expect to be a pass rusher given how they use him. Corners they've taken two in the in the first round in the last four years. They took Teddy Bridgewater in the first round. They I mean, I guess they did it with Matt Khalil with the fourth overall pick, but when you have to have five of those guys and they've taken two in the second round or higher since 2009, they have not committed a lot of resources to that position. It's interesting given the fact that the three other positions that I think most people would say are of a premium in the NFL, they have spent the the resources to get those positions where they want them. And I think that the philosophy of taking later round picks and throwing them at guys who are freaks is probably freaks but can't play is probably a smart one, right? It's probably not a bad idea because you do end up with your Daniel Hunters. It makes me think about baseball where you have some teams that will draft a bunch of college players because they know like, all right, this guy's ceiling might be that he's just like an average player if everything works out. And other teams will draft a ton of high school guys because they think, and if these guys turn out, if they ever reach their ceiling, my gosh, they're going to be fantastic. But their hit rate is a lot lower. And I think it's the same way with Clemmings and Beavers. My issue would be that they went back to the well and did it again. I mean, Clemmings, you already got one guy on your roster who's a total project, total Hail Mary. We'll see if anything turns out, we'd be shocked. But if it does, you've got a great left tackle. And then you go back and do it again. I mean, that then you've got two guys that, on the roster that you essentially can't play at all. And then you're just right. Then well, you're one just, of them did right. And then, well, both of them got in, but one of them ended up playing yeah. a ton. So I, I guess that's that. That's how I would end up looking at that. But where they've allocated their resources is always an interesting way to look at it because 
I, I think about this, guys. When I look at the teams that were the best in the NFL defensively versus the best offensively, and I look at who we've got left playing. We've got the Atlanta Falcons. We've got the Dallas Cowboys. We've got the New England Patriots, the Green Bay Packers. Now, I know some of them have elite, unbelievable quarterbacks, but I look at the teams that are the best in defense, and it's kind of more of a mix mash of teams. Like uh, some teams, the Giants made it on defense with a pretty poor offense. Uh, other did the Broncos didn't make it. It's like the offense will pretty much put you in the playoffs. And I wonder if, even since Mike Zimmer has been here, if they should have been investing more of those picks on the offensive side of the ball because that's what more consistently wins for you in the NFL. Well, I mean, some years you see you know, Denver teams like that win the Super Bowl, and, oh, there's this defensive revolution going on. This year is, again, one of those seasons where we're kind of back to the teams with the best quarterbacks are the teams that are still playing. I mean, you have Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Matt Ryan, um, Russell Wilson, Wilson. I mean, and, and Dak Prescott, yeah. pretty darn good too. Yeah, yeah. he's got a great line too. That right, he does. He does. But Dallas. you know, you have guys like you know, Brock Osweiler, who I I don't think much of, but they they spent a bunch of money to get. Does him. the AFC Alex North Smith even count? A, like, is that even no. is that even a real league? AFC South, you mean? That, that's what I meant. Sorry, yeah. it's not. No, and the Texans. That's it, it's a crime. The Texans, yeah, being I mean, in the playoffs, we actually have there. to watch Texans Patriots. I wh- I had to watch the Texans last that weekend. Game it was awful. Night. I don't Probably know is, it is. It's but it's a t- it's it's going to be a twenty point Patriots win, and yep. it's going to be Osweiler flinging the ball around, and it's going to be awful. <laughs> Seriously, I have yeah. no interest. Well, yeah, the, yeah the, but Dallas is, but but Dallas, okay, Dallas to me, is I like a pro- both the NFC matchups. The other one of the AFC matchups is a ton for me. Dallas, though, and this sounds crazy, but Dallas is a team to look at and say how have they done it? And to me, the key is this. Jerry Jones is still in charge, right? And Jerry goes on shows down in Dallas, and he's a big hero. But his kid, Stephen Jones, took control, right? Stephen Jones took a lot of control. My understanding was in the Manziel draft year, Jerry wanted to take Manziel. He's like, he's our next quarterback, and it's going to be great, and he's going to replace Romo, and he's going to sell jerseys. Don Van Natta did that big uh, Jerry Jones profile where the Peterson stuff came out about the the possible tampering. Now, a lot of that story was about how bad he wanted Manziel. Right, but but didn't Steven say, no, Dad, we're taking yes. an offensive line? Yeah, that's exactly and if you And if you now look at how the Cowboys are built, and I still contend to this day and will always contend that if Jerry Jones completely ran the show in Dallas, Adrian Peterson's there now. He would have given the Vikings yeah, like a first-round first round pick picks. for Peterson. And my point is this. When you look at roster construction and thought processes, Dallas has actually done it right now. Dallas has done a great job. And if you look at the Vikings, they've done some things well. The one thing, the one thing I'll credit the, the Vikings on, uh, Spielman and Childress continually screwed this up, and they finally get, got it right with Zimmer, is the cornerback position. Look at the um, Childress and Spielman drafts, yeah. and they kept trying corners in the third round. Asher Allen, McCauley, um, Josh Robinson. Josh Robinson. Over and you kept saying, okay, I understand you can find corners, but you're doing it the wrong way. So – there has been there have been some types of flaws with the Vikings philosophically from a draft standpoint for too long, and I contend part of that is Rick and his staff thinking we're so smart, we are so we've got a guy graded at one. I mean, Rick Spielman's grading process. Seifert did a big story, but back in his strip days, it was fantastic because Spielman showed him this. He's got binders, and he claims I grade guys out to like the tenth degree. Like this guy's got a one point seven six eight four. And at some point, you're like, this is too much. You're Didn't over Seifert, like, ask him, what does that mean? 
And he was like, well, it's higher than this other one. Like, well, yeah, but what does it mean? But, but my point, but my point is not only did we not get it, but the point is at some point, don't you say, Rick, you're overthinking this. Yeah. You're thinking yeah. about this way too. You are, you are trying to get so creative that you are outsmarting yourself and therefore probably passing on players you shouldn't be passing on because you're convinced that you can get this guy in the sixth round. You just reminded me of idiocracy because that's what plants need. They need electrolytes. Like, <laughs> what are electrolytes? What plants need? Yeah, yeah it becomes a, a circular argument. Uh, but, yeah, but I mean, if you, were, if you were just given a team right now as the general manager, just whatever team, Cleveland, a team that's at the total bottom, and you were told, all right, go fix it all. Go build it up. Yep. Which side of the ball would you start putting your focus on? I mean, would you would you say I'm going to hire a defensive coach? I'm going to draft all these defensive players with first round picks, and we're going to shut Can everybody I say down. This? Both lines. Well, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I think my fir- I think my first move would, would be to say I want my lines to be as stout and as good as possible. I mean, and then you bring a rookie quarterback in who's not going to be yep. completely gun shy because he's playing behind a decent offensive line. But if you were just if you were just picking one though, I mean, like we would all like to say, yes, uh, we should just have every position be good, and then that's how you win, which is which is what happens a lot. Of the best teams, will get lucky on a few picks. They'll have good coaching. Everything comes together. Some luck. So Stephen Goskowski hits the field goal post on an extra point. You know, I mean, you've got to have everything go your way to actually win the Super Bowl. I guess my point is just that I, the overall the the bigger picture view of where they decided to go by hiring Mike Zimmer and spending a lot of first round picks on defense is I wonder if that's the way that you end up winning in the NFL today, even though Denver won the Super Bowl, it's a once a decade thing that a yeah. defensive team wins the Super yeah. Bowl on defense alone. Yeah. And Seattle, I suppose you could, well, Seattle's an interesting one because because they Russ wanted a defense, but yes, they and had Russell, Russell Wilson and they had Lynch and they had Harvin. I mean, they had enough pieces to be better on offense than a lot of the "quote unquote" defense, and then survive on offense. And their line teams. is now is now terrible, but yeah, Wilson's got the instincts the to escape that. Yeah, yeah. Bradford I mean, can't do that. Wilson is is a guy that I think can kind of transcend a lot of the problems that exist on offense because he's that good. Um, so whether you put Seattle in that group or not, you can debate that, but. It doesn't happen very often. It, it and this again, I think it's going to be one of those years where the best quarterbacks are the team are the ones that are probably going to be playing in the end. I think it's going to be Tom Brady, and I I guess I don't really I think any of those four could make a case for coming out of the NFC, but all of those four have a quarterback that they trust. In two thousand and seventeen, offense probably. I mean, the league this league is so geared now and rigged towards that that I still want good corners, but I think if you were to put a gun to my head and say, okay, choose one position to start selecting guys for an expansion team right now, offense, based on the fact that I, I know that the league is going to reward me for that. Yeah. And they will. I mean, the amount of calls that you can get now is ridiculous, <laughs> yeah. but the league wants offense. Here's my logic a little bit too, is I think you can stretch your window open longer if you have the offensive players and the quarterback is just obviously, if you have Tom Brady, you get to be in the running for a Super Bowl for 15 straight years because he's one of the greatest of all time. But even even if you have a, just a good quarterback, wide receivers, how long are they good for? I mean, if they don't get catastrophically injured, they could be good for a long time. 
How long do we expect Stefan Diggs to be good? Like 10 years, probably uh, running backs yeah. are running backs are the different story. They get hurt a lot. Offensive linemen. We talk about Joe Thomas, 10 straight pro bowls, offensive linemen. You get an elite one and they're good for a really long time. Mm-hmm. But with defenses, I feel like you have your Seattle that stayed at the top of the league, but there's been just fluctuation most of the rest of the league fluctuates from year to year on defense. The Giants were good this year. They were really bad last year. A couple of years ago, they win the Super Bowl with a great defense, but before that, they were horrendous. And they fixed that a lot. Right, and the Vikings right. have gone through this same thing where it's— Well, the Texans. The Texans' yeah. defense right now is outstanding, but guess what? I don't give them a shot in hell of beating the Patriots. Well, and a couple yeah. of years ago, the Texans had a pretty poor— defense but they had a pretty good offense when Schaub remembered how to play quarterback and Andre Johnson was at his best yeah I mean I, I think it's uh in general the offensive side of the ball is, is going to be you know eight years out of ten probably where you're going to have a, a Super Bowl champion that that spends most of its money now the thing with the Vikings of course when they were hiring Mike Zimmer was it's awfully hard to build an offense the way most NFL teams do it when you're paying a running back what they were paying Adrian Peterson so I wonder if some of it was well, and, it, and some of it may have been the, the coaches that they liked at the time, but they they seemed to focus on kind of wanting to get that you know that football guy, blue collar. I mean, they they talked a lot about that. I mean, it kind of came down to Zimmer and Todd Bowles. I think were the the last two standing there at the end. Um, but you wonder if if they would have been able to get a guy to come in and, and revamp the offense, even if they wanted to, given the fact that. They had all that money committed to Adrian Peterson, and they had no quarterback when they hired their head coach. I think that scared the Wilfs, too. I, I think I think what scared the Wilfs was Childress was their first choice in 2006, offensive guy, right? and it didn't work. They also, I'm pretty convinced, looked at Green Bay, Detroit, and Chicago at that time and said, okay, are we going to be able to get a quarterback who can match those guys and have an offense that high-powered, or do we go the opposite direction, hire a really good defensive guy, and try and slow those guys? So I'm guessing that's their thought process. Uh, unfortunately, as I said, though, they allowed Spielman kept kept not taking linemen and not taking those guys forever and ever. And we've now gotten to a point where that entire position group largely has eroded. And people are saying, OK, fix it. Well, it can be fixed, but it's going to take some time. I mean, they are not. I'm it's sorry. A big investment. I'm sorry. You're not going to go to training camp next year in great shape there your left tackle might be good but three-fifths of that line essentially has to be blown up yeah there's no coming back from your left tackle your right tackle your right guard which which keeps bringing me back to it is possible but not with adrian peterson on the roster just because of the money even if he reworks his contract he's still going to want a lot of money i am not subjecting pat Shermer to having to get 28 involved there's no way that's fair to Shermer to show up this offseason and come up with a game plan and then it, and then for them to look at that game plan and every question if if Peterson comes back is going to be well how are we going to get him involved he no That's longer who's making the call he no longer yes and you're probably right but my point is this Adrian Peterson under the Childress Bevel West Coast offense wasn't a perfect fit for it but you know what he was so damn good you didn't care he's now yeah. going to be a 32 year old running back who is a zero in my opinion a zero fit for West Coast. And are you really going to tell Pat, okay, this looks fantastic. Bradford should be the focal point of what you're doing, but here's the deal. We got to get 28 involved. I mean, we saw it at the start of the Colts game, didn't we? They yeah. they start off. Yeah. I mean, Peterson, you start off by saying we've got to feed him the ball. It's a ridiculous thing to have to do. 
But Gessling, I think you're right, and I'm going to maintain that my entire reservations about this is the wills and and the loyalty that they might feel to see 28 finish his career in purple. I think it's misguided, but it's not going to surprise me. Yeah, I mean, and I think any attachment to Adrian Peterson probably goes above the coaching staff at this point because those are the people that have been here the longest with him. I mean, it it was really interesting to see the change with Mike Zimmer, and we won't spend a ton of time on Peterson because we spent a lot of time on him last week, and we certainly will spend plenty of time on him uh, throughout the course of the offseason. But it, it was very interesting to hear Mike Zimmer Kind of the tone kind of changed this year. Uh, it was not the glowing things that he'd said about Adrian Peterson in the past. It was almost he, he didn't seem to want to touch that topic much at all, which invited a lot of uh, wondering minds to ask whether that relationship has changed. And it will be very interesting to see if he is back and if so, at what price. And as Matthew, as you point out, bringing him back at any kind of a price um, beyond the fit and the offense. I don't think they get him back here at anything less than $5 million. And I, I don't think it's even that low to get him back based on what he would accept. So uh, that certainly will have a, a big hand in the cap situation. So percentages for who's making this decision – what, what who do you who do you put as wielding the biggest sword for making the decision on Adrian Peterson? Is it the Wilfs? Is it Rick Spielman? Is it Mike Zimmer? Because I, I think we have a pretty good idea of where they would all stand on this, or at least well, I, I know from one side and another, I think I, I think I know. I think that Mike Zimmer and Pat Shermer would not want Adrian Peterson back. I think the Wilfs would love to see him play his entire career, and they would love to see more big cheers when he runs out all by himself on the field. That guy in the middle, though, who has had, you know, I mean, well, the Ben, you answer my question, Ben. I think you're right. I, I think what you were about to say, the guy in the middle is Rick Spielman, and uh, it has been very interesting to see a number of um, reports uh, from people that may be in position to have talked to certain people uh, about, oh, yeah, they want him back, but only at a certain price. We, we've seen that from me and Rappaport a couple of times. I, I think uh, Mark Craig from the Star Tribune had written something to that effect. How um, about when he came back, there were a couple of reports that said, people inside the Vikings say he not is not human. human. Yeah, that, that line, he, like, we've heard that line Who for is time. that coming directly from? Well, yeah, the, right? the the ones I I think we can all um, kind of figure out where it's certainly to the national media, uh, probably where some of those are coming from. And uh, I, yeah, I mean the guy caught in the middle here is Rick Spielman, and I, I think if that is in fact the approach to say, well, we want him back, but it's got to be on our terms. It, it's a good way to kind of placate yep. ownership and uh, also maybe placate the coaching staff that may have some reservations about it it's a good kind of down the middle of the fairway type approach i think the football operations department worst case scenario is this peterson accepts the offer i don't i don't think he (laughs) will i think the wilfs trying to call his bluff the wilfs don't don't get involved much i really don't think that that they do when it comes to football decisions i think they've been pretty good about that there have been times where, where they certainly have but i think they're pretty good about being fairly hands-off. 
that being said, in this case, I think what's gonna what's going to happen is Spielman's going to take Peterson's camp and offer and be pretty confident that he says bye. The worst case though is if he's getting no feelers and he says, I'll take it, because then you're stuck. Yeah. And if that happens, I I think the Wolves philosophy would, would be, Oh, this is fantastic. He's coming back. Everybody else will say, Oh no. Because my whole thing is not it's not that I want him gone because he's a terrible person. I just think the fact that he's going to attempt to influence the decisions, and there's no way that you can bring him back and then have a conversation where, where you essentially say, but you know what? You're going to be a bit player. Mm-hmm. No way. I, I will say this, and I, I think we can, you know, and I think, Matthew, you're going to say one more thing, and then we can put this topic to bed. But in talking to people that know Peterson well, they believe he's going to be back here. I don't know how that happens. I don't know what the money looks like. I don't know if those people are expecting a certain financial offer from the Vikings or a certain response from Adrian Peterson, but there is a belief in the Peterson circle that he is going to be back here, which I I think is very, very interesting and it's not necessarily, I think, it certainly would go against the conventional wisdom because the conventional wisdom at this point is that he's gone. It has been very interesting to hear that from some of those people, and we will see if that is correct. But uh, that sentiment has uh, has crossed my desk more than once. Well, the uh, to the point about calling the shots, um, even when Teddy Bridgewater went down, Peterson said that he sent text messages to Rick Spielman with players that he liked across the league yep. that, it, yep. that he thought, and I think that might allude to Michael Vick, but I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but because there was a tweet from Peterson a few years ago yeah. about go get Michael Vick, yeah. so maybe that uh, referred to him being a free agent. Yep. But it just kind of speaks to the calls the shots sort of thing, and that if it isn't going the way it goes to him, see, he doesn't look in the mirror and see the same thing that we look and see him. We don't see a third. Right. He doesn't look in the mirror and go, 32-year-old running back, no. got to decide it's just win for the ball team. One-dimensional. It's, he, no, he, he doesn't he, see any of that. He doesn't see any of that, and I think that's the biggest issue. I also think the if we were to pinpoint one, the biggest thing that cost the Minnesota Vikings the playoffs this year, at least in my mind, it's what we touched on earlier, those two games where there was headbutting, where there was can't figure out where you're going to go with this offense, and then, yeah, you try to resolve it with Shermer taking over, but then there's an adjustment period even to that. I think that trickled down, and those two games were very winnable. Well, you're basically asking for more headbutting by bringing him back of what your new offensive coordinator wants to do with his guy, the quarterback, in a West Coast passing offense that requires a running back to be able to come out of the backfield and block. A guy that cut his teeth in Philadelphia when Brian Westbrook was in the backfield, by the way. Absolutely. And and Darren Sproles, too, yep. when he mm-hmm. was the offensive coordinator again later for Philadelphia yes, for sir. Chip Kelly. He had Steven Jackson in St. Louis, but Steven Jackson could catch the ball oh, as well. Oh, cer- certainly, certainly. Yeah, it's going to be very, very interesting to see where all of that goes. Uh, guys, any closing thoughts before we wrap this one up? Hmm. Hold on a second. Let me look at my put my glasses on. I have one question. All right. In retrospect, story time with the sports grinch. In retrospect, no, I'm actually have a question. All right, not story time. No, I just like a fireside chat. I was just kind of why trying to do, come up with why a do we think that when all hell was breaking loose at left tackle, they didn't give Boone a shot there. Why do we why do we think that when Alex Boone went 
to Zimmer and said, and I, I understand. Because Alex Boone went to yeah, Zimmer. Yeah, but I mean, is it really that and, simple? And that, told us about it. Yeah, and yeah. told you about it and yeah. said, I'm going to talk to him tomorrow. I don't I, think, I think that helps. He said it in Chicago, perhaps on a Sunday. and then. But my point is, why do we think there wasn't some flexibility there to say, you know what, that's, a, that's not a terrible idea. TJ Clemmings can't play. I thought they were all about ideas. That's my point. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, I, I doubt that that helped. Um, I don't know if that was the whole reason for it, but I don't know that that helped. I mean, I don't know where you would have gone at left guard. I'm trying to remember at that point who was healthy and who was not. Well, they what I they guess could Jake have, Long was not hurt. They yet, right? could have moved Berger at that time. Yeah, to guard and yeah. then Easton at center. Yeah, you could have done that, which probably would have made for quite a bit better of a line. I wonder if we'll see that next year. I mean, Berger if they guard. don't, well, if they don't fix the, if they don't find a left tackle. I wonder if we'll see them try that in OTAs. I'm telling you, I think Khalil's back. I, yeah, I do, too. I, I think the worst case I do too. is they bring Matt Khalil back on a three-year contract. The only problem is if Khalil says, no, I'm going to go to market, and somebody, because somebody might, takes one team to say, we'll give you five years. Yeah. You're crazy if you do yeah. it. You should be fired if you do it. But the cap's going up by a fairly sizable margin once again. And and I, I would hope that they could find better options than having to move Alex Boone out there. He was moved away from tackle to guard for a reason. Yeah. I just think in terms of his pass protection, he was one of the better guards in the league in pass protection. They were not getting beat up the middle a lot. Right. It was right around walking around the traffic cone and just tackling Sam yeah. Bradford. Yeah. Clemens face planting. That's what it was. Outside of the first couple of games, there were miscommunications, but yeah. once they got that figured out, Berger and Boone in the middle were pretty good uh, at that. In the Philadelphia game, there were some problems with blitzes up the middle too. But otherwise, you were pretty solid there. So he could fill in at the tackle position for a few games i would not want to be going into this season experimenting going yeah he used to do it at ohio state no, <laughs> like, no, yeah I, I just mean if I there's some now. scenario where they don't go sign anybody because the yeah. prices get too crazy and or they say they, this isn't worth going if, all in on this or if they went all in on a guard instead if yeah. they went tj lang and you pay him nine or ten million dollars because he's Love one of the best. their ex-packers i mean they do indeed I guess my point about this entire show today is what do you think they learned from 2016? Because there were a lot of lessons. If you yeah. sit down and mm-hmm. go through the lessons, there were a lot of things about uh, too many cooks in the kitchen, inflexibility, stubbornness. But the key is you have to actually sit down and think about those things and talk about them. And I wonder if they have the ability there because football people are the most stubborn people in the world. I mean, the Vikings are still convinced that their draft process is unbelievable, and sometimes they find players. That's great. But when you're grading guys out to 1.75, it doesn't. at some point you got to say, my head's bleeping swimming, Rick. Yeah, I, so. I, I think, uh, I mean, Mike Zimmer talked about soul-searching, and whether that leads to any changes, I, we'll have to wait and see. I'm not sure that he's going to come back and tell us exactly what that process was like, if he went to see a yogi or, or whatever it would be. <laughs> going to India? Yeah, I don't know uh, if he's going to go hang out with uh, play the sitar. Ravi Shankar. <laughs> is Ravi Shankar still alive? Yes. Uh, I think Ravi Shankar passed. I, he I can go hang out with Nora Jones. I think, I think that's Ravi Shankar's dead. daughter, isn't it? Yeah, I think you're right. He could. Yeah, I so said, I mean, sit you know, cross like and play the sitar. Yeah, so I mean, maybe there's something like that. I don't know, but Could I don't know that more. he's going to tell us. But uh, we will certainly see if anything changes in the approach. Oh, is George Payton gone too? Uh, well, he's, he's in the, the running for the 49ers. Yes, he is. Yeah, so I don't know. I mean, they've talked to everybody in the world. I'm not sure where he's going to be in the mix if he's going to get that job or not. But if he does, it's certainly a big loss in their draft process. So that that will be. One of the many things uh, to talk about as we go forward in the offseason, we will get back at it. Uh, we'll have to figure out if we're going to 
do this next week or not. I think I'm on vacation, but we'll uh, we'll negotiate and uh, figure out what we're going to do. We'll be back at it soon, and uh, we will have plenty more to talk about at that point. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.